Get to the church, blind! Get to the church, blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. Hey, church planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Coming to you for hardcore church planting. Woohoo, so hardcore. We've been actually looking forward to interviewing this guest, if for no other reason than we really like his name. So, uh, oh, yes. Peyton, why don't you introduce our guest? Well, our guest today is Carl. Now, I don't even know how to say it, but I'm going to say it the way I wish it sounds. <laughs> it probably sounds more German than how I'm going to say it. Carl Vaders. <sighs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. That, that is, that, no, you, you've got it correct. It used to be popular generations ago, but... Uh, yeah, we actually we actually had a cat named Darth for a while. Nice, oh. woo! That's so awesome. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. But well, we figured we didn't want any grandkids named Darth, so we named the cat Darth because we figured they might name a grandkid Darth after the movie, but they wouldn't name a grandkid Darth after the cat. Okay, but do we have any Anakin's in the family? I was just going to ask that. No, no, Anakin's not even an Annie. Uh, in fact, I'm I'm about, I'm going to be a grandfather this summer, and Annie is on the uh, veto list. No, <laughs> yeah, Who vetoed it, though. Did you veto it? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, like I have a say in it. I, okay. I pretend I've got some authority here about the name of my grandchild. But... I I was going to say because otherwise, like, oh, podcast is over. That's it. Can't can't yeah. talk to him anymore. Yeah, that's that's true. Okay, so hey, um, now Carl is—I'm going to say it again. I'm just—I'm not going to call you Carl. I'm going to call you Carl Vader's every chance I get, because man, it, and 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 our topic today is Star Wars. Incidentally, for all of our listeners, um, but and, and uh, shockingly, I—I no. I am your father. Ooh, <laughs> nice. No, but that's impossible. Uh, sorry. <laughs> But uh, okay, so getting serious now, Carl is the author of The Grasshopper Myth, which is a book that uh, not only did we meet his son-in-law at a uh, <clears throat> at a business meeting at uh, Islands, or podcast, podcast meeting, uh, his son worked there, I mean his son-in-law worked there, but not only that, uh, not only did he say, you need to meet my father-in-law, because we told him what we did, and we started, we thought we were going to share the gospel with him. And it turns out he starts telling us, you know, everything. And um, and he says, oh, you, you should meet him. And I said, you know, I've heard of that dude. Because when I got together with the guys over at the Evangelical Credit Union, and they're kind of like the mafia, right? They kind of know everybody. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, Southern Cal, they know everybody and they're connected. And uh, they basically, when I was talking to one of the guys, an old friend of mine there, he said, you know, you remind me of Carl Vader's and have you read his book, The Grasshopper Myth? So I went, I picked it up, uh, downloaded it on the Kindle. It's on Amazon. It's called The Grasshopper Myth. And uh, it is an excellent, excellent book. 
And Carl's been popping up on outreach, uh, pastors.com. You can read his articles. They're always, always good. And I'm not saying that because he's a, a guest, but there is a connection in a lot of the stuff that he says to the stuff that we say on this podcast. And so first off, Carl, it's an honor to have you on here, man. Right. And an honor to be on here. Yeah. My my son-in-law came home that day talking about some random preachers he met at work and couldn't quite remember your names or exactly what you did because he was in the middle of, you know, working during the time. And I thought, yeah, well, that's not going anywhere. Uh, And yeah, here we are today. You know, we are. Man. I actually think he's the one who uh, carded Barry because Barry had a UK uh, ID, you know, from Wales, and uh, he wouldn't serve him. And we thought it was the funniest thing ever. Yeah, that, that, that wow. was a different day too. That was actually a different. That was day. a different day. Yeah, that we went back there another time. That's right. And, and the funny thing was, he wasn't even order drinks. He just ordered fish tacos, but he carded him anyway. <laughs> Barry didn't have his license, so he was, uh, he's a, he's a European and, uh, he wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't serve him. So I said, well, I'll have two then. <laughs> he did, he did say that. Did. But, and he just looked at me, you know, that look he gets Carl, right? When he just, yeah, yeah, his yeah. Eyes and he gave me one of those, but anyways, yeah. getting back to the podcast here, um, you know, you've been, you've been speaking, I see that you're on the docket at exponential and, Tell us a little bit about the message of the book. First off, what is the grasshopper myth? Yeah, that's 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 the big question always because with that title, um, I've actually disappointed some high school students' uh, paper on insects. Um, <laughs> I, it, it's actually true because when you run a website and you got your book up there, you can see the search terms people use to find it, and every nice. once in a while, it's like, oh, I just disappointed some kid somewhere. Um, now, the grasshopper myth comes from the book of Numbers, where the 12 spies, you know, the 12 Hebrew spies go into the promised land. They come back, and 10 of them give this bad report. And the bad report is, we saw giants in the land, and then they say, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. And the premise is, uh, if, you see, if you don't see a grasshopper in the mirror, you won't be a grasshopper. And uh, a lot of small church pastors feel like grasshoppers. We go to the conferences that are led by big church pastors. We read the books read that are uh, written by big church pastors. And after a while, and we try their ideas, and a lot of their ideas don't work for us because they come from a big church standpoint. They're not bad ideas. They're not wrong ideas. But they just don't translate into a smaller group sometimes. And so they look at it and think, well, you know, Bill Hybels, Rick Warren, Craig Groeschel, they all tried it and it worked for them. It isn't working for me. There must be something wrong with me. And we start feeling like grasshoppers. And uh, Eleanor Roosevelt is credited with saying, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Mm. And uh, now these guys aren't trying to make us feel inferior. They are seriously trying to help us. I absolutely believe that the Andy Stanleys and these guys out there, are giving the best stuff that they can away, sometimes for free, uh, just to help as much as they can. But after a while, when some of the big church stuff doesn't work in a small church setting, we can ourselves start feeling inferior. And so that's that's the myth. The myth is that you're a grasshopper. You're not a grasshopper. You have value in the kingdom, whatever size your church is. And I think smaller churches can be healthier churches if we don't buy into the grasshopper myth. Amen. And, and of course, you know, from the Old Testament where they're like, hey, we're grasshoppers in their eyes, 
it was a perception issue. And I love the fact that you connect that and you, you put the, the current church in that same thing that we are, that's our identity. That's who we are. And there's almost a sense in America that bigger is better. And, yeah. uh, I, I can remember kind of going to Europe and living over there for a number of years and feeling the exact same thing that you're talking about. None of the stuff that I heard and learned in mega church America, where I was on staff before I disembarked from the mission field, none of it would work. And yeah. one of the big beefs that we have, uh, as church planners is when we go to even the church planning conferences, it's not normally church planners that are speaking. It's normally celebrities that will draw a crowd. And so that, right. that, that can always be challenging for the church planner who, as you said, you know, he's looking for something, give something to me, give me some tools, give me some help. So yeah, first off, and, and sometimes, and sometimes obviously they are church planners. I mean, Rick Warren was a church planner. Oh, he is, and a, I lo- he is a church planner in one sense. Yeah. yeah and I, <laughs> and I love, yeah. And I love his stuff and I love his heart. He gives more of his stuff away for free than anybody I know. Yeah. And he always talks about whatever size your church was, I was there. And, and yes. it's true. Rick Warren pastored a small church for like six weeks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, and, 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 and I get that. And it's amazing what God has done through him and the growth he's had. But if he had been stuck under the 200 barrier for six years or for like me, 20 years, then he could bring a, another layer of teaching to it to help the guy who is struggling, who can't get past those barriers quickly. Yeah, he's, he's, he did the small thing for a while, and yes, he did it extraordinarily well, and yes, I can learn from him. Yeah. But when I'm struggling at the 10th year and it's still small, uh, I need somebody else who's been in that struggle or who may be, even still be in that struggle and figure out, okay, what do I do now? Because my situation is obviously different from his. And again, it's not to discount his stuff, and I want to say this right up front. I yeah. love big churches. Yeah. I love well, mega churches. I love any size church. You know, anytime it's 3,000 to 30,000 people gathered together to hear about Jesus, how is that not anything but great? But it's also great when 30 people get together to worship Jesus too. Well, Three and I would, both and, not either or. I would add into that because I think you and I, when, when I wrote my book, Church Zero, cha-ching, and that's the rules. If I mention my book, I have to say it. If it, Normally, if people mention their books, they have to say it, but we're here to talk about your book. But yeah. here's the thing, man. Most, most uh, if you say anything that says, hey, maybe our focus is wrong or this isn't the goal, um, then yes, you, you can easily get labeled as being anti-big church. And, and so... Uh, understand i i hear in you that you're saying look this isn't what i'm saying i'm not saying i'm not knocking those guys that's where god has called them but right. maybe god hasn't called all of us to be that and i i love how rick himself says look you got elephants you got tigers and you got rabbits and the elephants go slow but they're big and the tigers you know they they've they're kind of in between they're the best of both worlds and then you got your rabbits that are rapid multiplication but they're small it's like community groups Yep. And, and, and so I hear that coming out in you, but let me ask you, how does the guy who's under that 200 barrier in a church plant, um, how does he overcome? That's what your book unpacks. How does he overcome the grasshopper myth? Yeah, for me, um, 
a, a lot of it was we actually pushed past the 200 barrier for a while. We got to the point where we were averaging about 400. And um, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the increasing numbers were so exciting that they masked my underlying misery. And the misery came from the fact that over 200, the reason, the reason they call 200 a barrier is because you have to manage a church of over 200 different than you manage a church under 200. Uh, you, you just can't, you've got to have different systems. You've got to have, uh, you know, sub leaders in place. You've got to, you know, you just have to, you have to structure the thing, the thing differently. So I willingly did that. I changed the structure from what they sometimes call a shepherd model to a rancher model. I did that, and I found myself uh, doing things, spending 95% of my ministry time doing things that sucked my soul dry. Um, I ended up spending 95% of my time looking for new buildings, trying to do fundraising, fighting with City Hall, fighting with the school department where we were renting a a room, uh, and not doing the kind of shepherding pastoral things that I'm good at and that feed my heart and that feed my soul and that, quite frankly, I'm called to do. And uh, because I was miserable, uh, the church that grew fairly quickly to 400 dropped even faster. Um, All of a sudden, almost overnight, people just started leaving in droves and nobody could tell me why. And I don't know how small it dropped to because it's, it's fun to count when you're growing. Um, but I stopped counting when we started shrinking so fast, but we got down somewhere to around a hundred actually for a while. Hmm. And, uh, but we were budgeted and staffed for 400. Uh, now th- those are some numbers that'll catch your attention real fast. Uh, cause that caused some real stress and al- almost left the ministry. And what I had to do is I had to realize, okay, I'm not called to be the rancher style, the CEO style pastor who does administration, who coordinates with leaders all, all day long, who does the fundraising, who does promotion. I'm called to be a, a more of a hands-on shepherd type of leader. I, I, I do the hospital visit. I look forward to hanging out with people in the hallway afterwards. I want to know your name. Um, you know, when I see them in the store, the fact that I don't just say, Hey bud, when I see them, but I can actually say their name when I see them in the grocery store, that matters to me. That's just, that's where my leadership gifting goes. And so once I realized that, then I said, okay, um, I have to figure out how to be a great small church pastor and how to have this be a great church at its current size. And so my, my message basically to the small church pastor who's struggling is uh, bigger doesn't fix anything. It didn't fix anything for me in my ministry. Uh, doing the best that God, at, at the size and place that God has called you to do, that's what success looks like. So if you've got 25 people in your church, if you've got 100 people in your church, whatever it is, be the best church of 100 that you can be. Be the best church of 25 that you can be. Do the small things well. Because uh, there's real kingdom value in that. Mm. You know, um, Carl, in your book, The Grasshopper Myth, I, I really like how you started out right at the very beginning in chapter one. It starts with the uh, the chapter title, Hi, I'm Carl, and I'm a small church pastor. And then you go, if this title sounds like an Alcoholics Anonymous introduction, you've got the right idea. I'm a small church pastor, and I am not a failure. 
And, yeah. um, and I, I love the way that you put that because then you go into in that first chapter, a lot more detailed on that. And you just, you, you really emphasize the, I am not a failure. And that's one of the things that Peyton and I see a lot with the church planners that we work with. Um, so many have been in some cases, literally sold the idea of, you know, here's the, uh, six steps and the, the method to, rapid megachurch success um, and in the idea of having a small church not only doesn't appeal to them but you know sometimes I wonder if uh, if these church planners realized that they might be called to be a small church pastor would they endure what they're enduring as a church planner um, yeah because uh, you know a lot of them just have a totally different mindset but one of the things too that that you you ask, and I want you to elaborate on this as you say, um, what is biblical church growth? Forget the numbers. What does Jesus measure? Expand on that for us, if you would. Yeah. I mean, first of all, numbers, numbers do matter when we're saying when numbers are, are actual souls being brought into the kingdom. So I am in no way am I against church growth, but I think that we have in in America and the Western world particularly, we are so individualistic. We have narrowed church growth down to a congregation getting bigger. And so if one congregation gets bigger, they're considered a success, even if half of their growth is pulling members from other good churches. Um, yeah. But, you know, half of that isn't kingdom growth. Half of that is just, you know, transferring people over from from one seat in the bus to a different seat in the bus that's not that's not growth of the of, of people on the bus so church growth absolutely matters that's that's an essential part of it um but there's no there's no failure uh for the small church pastor who's de- who's doing the bible things that every church is supposed to do well, one, one of the great gifts that War- rick warren has brought in the last 40 years is he's taken the five basic purposes of the church which virtually every seminary student has been taught for the last couple hundred years. And he's brought it to the forefront, you know, the five purposes of ministry, worship, discipleship, fellowship, and evangelism uh, that come straight from the great commandment and the great commission. And uh, a healthy church, whatever its size will do those five things. And so if your church is doing those five things well, then you are a success in ministry. You have a successful church. You have a, a good church. Um, but unlike um, a typical business, unlike um, uh, some mathematical equation, there are other factors that go into whether or not a church is going to get bigger. And so if you are doing those five things well in your congregation, you're contributing to kingdom growth. I, I think one of the things we do is we compare single uh, this, this church of 5,000 to this church of 50. And that's not a fair comparison because the, the numbers are just way too different. But what if we did it this way? This church of 5,000 with one pastor, and in the same town, there are 100 churches averaging 50 apiece that equal 5,000. Mm-hmm. So which is better, 5,000 people in one church under one pastor or 5,000 people in 100 churches under 100 different pastors? There are, pluses and min- yeah, there are pluses and minuses on both sides of that. Yeah, right? we, each each brings some value to the kingdom. Yes, 
Yes. And I think, I, what do you think about this, Carl? One, one of the things that uh, we always emphasize is reach over size. And that was, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. In Church Zero, cha-ching, uh, we ended up talking about the fact that, you know, we can be so much like the Tower of Babel where we're building upwards, upwards, upwards in size, kind of like a skyscraper. And we think that's what we need to build this tower to the heavens, make a great name for ourselves. And God's like, I told you guys to spread out. You know, I told you. Yeah. To and, and that's where I see the struggle for me personally is not that I have a problem with, with bigger churches. Obviously in the gateway cities, Paul was planting churches, but it was his goal in those gateway cities that are obviously like planning in a gateway city today. It's going to be bigger, but right. at the same time, the the purpose for planting is reach. And it just seems like our goal has gotten off. And my, my theory is right now, just watching trends, looking at the absence of this generation uh, in, in finding community. We have pseudo community through the internet. Um, but 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 my theory is that there is in the human heart, because a human soul was designed for community, there is a craving for that. I believe right now that that whole megachurch shine has lost its luster for average non-Christian Joe down the street. He's not impressed. And he's yeah. looking at it going, you know, right or wrong, whether it is or isn't. He's looking at it going, you know, that thing looks like a big, giant money-making machine. I've seen preachers of L.A., and obviously that's a distortion. Not everyone who has a big church is living like that. But right. my theory is that we will see a return with the hunger of this generation for community to small churches. What do you think about that? Yeah, there is a definite generational shift, and it's not like previous generational shifts where every older generation looked at the younger generation and said, oh, they're just not respectful anymore. No, it, for, 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 genera- for centuries, one, one person could literally go to work and use exactly the same tool that their great-great-great-great-grandfather used, right? They're still in the carpenter shop. They're still using their great-great-great-great-grandfather's hammer. But I, I dare you to find somebody today who is using a single tool that has been passed down from their, not just their grandfather, but maybe even from their father and mother's generation. Things have just shifted. Our tools have shifted. Our way of looking at things has shifted. I, I don't think it's a mistake that the megachurch um, movement started shortly after World War II. Because I think what happened was um, the greatest generation and and God bless them, they deserve that title more than any generation that ever lived, because they literally saved the world from an incomprehensible Amen. evil. Amen with that. <laughs> Unbelievable what they did. I read all and those books, sa- and I agree. <laughs> yeah, they saved the world in World War II from top, using top-down military structures. Then they rebuilt Europe with the Marshall Plan using yep. top-down military-type structures, and God bless them for that. That's why we're friends with Germany, Japan, and Italy today and not enemies because of the Marshall Plan, right? And then these soldiers came home and built churches and cities using top-down military-type structures, yeah. and it worked. The, the, we built beautiful cities and, and a great highway system and wonderful large churches that started growing like crazy. My grandparents' generation— it took relationships for granted and needed structures. 
this generation, my children's generation, takes, takes those structures for granted and needs to build relationships. Hmm. So it's flipped. So that's where this current generation is. We don't need to build any structures anymore. We still build them now. The structures are, are virtual. They're electronic structures that we're building primarily now. But we've lost, we've lost trust. We've lost relationship. And you used the word earlier, pseudo-relationship that we have online. Mm. And so I think there's a real tug now in the younger generations toward relationship. Just this Sunday in the lobby of my church, I walked past and I saw a man in our church on his 90th birthday. I didn't even know it on that day. Somebody told me later, is this man's 90th birthday? His name is Gene. And sitting next to him was a, uh, I believe she's 14, a 14 year old named Skylar. And she was just sitting and chatting with him. And she reached out at one point and just grabbed his hand and they just sat there and held hands and chatted. I kept going back and they kept being there. I actually snapped the picture and put it on Facebook because I said, this is what church ought to look like a whole bunch of the time. And later on, my wife said, yeah, I was talking to Skyler and she just said, I just love that guy, Gene. He's so fascinating. He's got so many great stories. So wonderful. And I thought, there you go. The younger generation really does want to hear from the older generation as long as what the older generation isn't saying, you kids these days, what's wrong with you? Get off your iPads. You know, relax. <laughs> Engage them in loving conversation, and they will open up like flowers. Yeah. The younger generation is starving for yes. close relationships with their parents and their grandparents' generation. My wife Here, is always telling thing. me to get off my iPad. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Yeah, yeah. well... Different, my, different, my, different. my 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 wife my, yeah my wife and I I end each other on the couch last night yeah just uh, you know are you are you hungry no I'm not hungry what do you want for dinner I don't know we didn't say a word we just did it on our iPhones it was a beautiful moment <laughs> man that's something to aspire to for the Jones house never having to use words I love that hey. <laughs> so and and here's kind of building off of what you said here what what I love about that is is what's so true in uh, the Western world today is the fact that people are not this generation they're not getting parenting I mean you know you you meet great parents and you meet great homes uh, kids who, who feel very loved and their parents are very attentive but for the most part that that's not the case anymore right you walk up and down the, the supermarket Moms and dads are on their cell phones. They're talking. The kid's sitting in the basket. Used to be the mom was talking to the child, shopping and interacting with the kid and entertaining them as they're shopping. That's all gone. And so now you got the DVD player on the back of the head, rest in the car, Pete. And uh, (laughs) just joking. I don't know if you have one of those or not. I'm just teasing. Uh, I I beat Pete a lot. Um, No, we we do. We we um. We actually bought an iPad mini specifically for Luke so he could watch <laughs> yeah. movies when we went out and we didn't. Yeah, have- yeah. Well, the wife and I travel, so we, we've been tempted to buy one too. But my, my point is on all of that is, you know, we're, we're hitting a time now where this generation hasn't known what it is to have moms and dads. Not like, not like our generation did. And even our generation didn't have it like the previous generation. And, and as we head towards that, suddenly someone walks into a small church. Like I went to a small church a few weeks ago, and I was mobbed 
by old ladies and people. And I'll tell you yeah. something, it felt great. Now it scares yeah. me runs when that happens, but <laughs> it felt wonderful. And I yeah. have to say that, uh, Small churches, you know, I go into small churches and because, you know, I also dabble a little bit in church revitalization from time to time. And I walk in and I always think, you know, when I first went to Europe, I was in a traditional church. It was real small. They thought they sucked. And I just remember there was so much love coming off these people. But love yeah. never fails. And that is the yeah. secret weapon of the church is love. Yeah. And these people got it, man. And if someone would just walk, these young families are walking in this generation that hasn't had a mom. And suddenly there are mothers and fathers in that church that take them under their wing. That is so powerful. Yeah. Well, and the challenge though, for the small churches, I've, we've also been in small churches where you're completely ignored, yeah. right? It's not that Don't every small church seat. has, right? right I, yeah, exactly. Right. Right. Now, if you go to a big, if you walk into a big church, you walk into a church of five thousand people. Once the crowd hits a certain size, everybody just automatically knows. Okay, I'm going to be an audience today, right? You walk into a room of five people, you expect to engage in conversation. You walk into a room of five thousand, you expect to be an audience. Yeah. And so the expectation for intimacy is lowered. And if you get a good service, and if somebody happens to say hi, you're happy. But if you walk into a small church of fifty people. And nobody says hi, and nobody engages you in conversation, and nobody welcomes you. It's bad. It's bad to feel lonely in a big church. It's brutal to feel lonely in a small church. Yeah. So let me encourage all my other small church compatriots, and I are one of you. So I'm not talking down. I'm talking across. Okay. We have to do better than we're doing at being intentional about being friendly and opening and welcoming to people. Because here's what happens. Somebody comes and drives into your parking lot for the first time. They sit in that seat for five minutes, breathing heavily, debating whether or not they're going to get out of their car, because it's a scary thing to walk into a small church for the first time. Absolutely. And, and if, they, if they get past that and open your door, we better make it worth their while. Absolutely. And, and going back to church planners, because all of our church planners pretty much are small, uh, even if they have a big mm -hmm. launch, it usually doesn't go past the 200 barrier. But we tend uh, planners who come to our podcast tend to relate. Most church planners are going to be under that 200 barrier statistically. And sure. not only that, they, they, they're going to be there even if they do push past it years, years later. And that's their calling. Fine. Uh, they're going to be stuck under that for a long, long time. And for me as a startup guy, it's my sweet spot. A core team, 20 people, me and the gospel, and I'm happy. That's what I yeah. like. In fact, once sure. it hits, you know, upwards of about 50, 60, 70, I get bored. I got to go start another one. And mm -hmm. so the, the reality is it, these dynamics are important. I was just reading a guy named Fred Heron, um, Vineyard, Kansas City, and he has a book called Expanding the Kingdom of God Through Church Planning. And one of the dynamics he brings up in that book is that uh, small church, uh, core teams, he, he calls them uh, low equity teams. Like when they, when they come together and they're strangers and they don't know each other, um, he says these are, are low equity. What's great is outsiders come in and they feel like, hey, I'm new here. And that's always something great to kind of promote and present as a church planning leader to tell your congregation, hey, everyone else here is new. If you're new here this morning, all these people yep. are new. We're still getting exactly. to know each other. 
But what he says is if a lot of times planners plant with what's known as a high equity group or core team, meaning maybe they've known each other for years and they branched off from another church. And he says the difficult, although you think all the strengths, we know each other, uh, they know the leaders, they, you know, it, it, they, they have a certain culture they bring with them from the mothership. But he says the difficulty with a high equity church planning core team is the fact that they actually, um, uh, they, they can be a barrier that everybody yeah. on a Sunday morning turns to each other and chews the fat and catches up. And he yeah. says, and when the outsider that you're trying to reach comes in, they immediately feel on the outside. And so that's, yeah. that's a very real, uh, issue, even for a small church plant, not just for an established, uh, church. No, yeah. In, in any size of church, we have to be really intentional about welcoming the new person, making them feel at home uh, and being friendly, uh, friendly to them. I, I think Rick Warren said years ago, people aren't looking for a church that's friendly. They're looking for a church with friends. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And, and the point is, the, 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 the smiling greeting when I walk in is nice, but I can get that at Starbucks. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, absolutely. It, it's got to go beyond the, the usher smiling when they hand you the bulletin. We've got to be intentional about developing relationships and friendships and where yeah. people matter to each other within the room. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's why I planted that's a trip in a Starbucks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot have. Yeah. yeah it, it's, it's a great way to do that. One of the, I'll throw out this little tool. I'll tell you a while, a little later if it works. It, when, we, when anybody comes to our church, our chairs are arranged in three different sections. So right now we are trying to recruit people that we're going to call them section hosts. And we're telling them your job is to make sure you're there at least 10 minutes before the service, stick around at least 10 minutes after. And you know everybody's sitting in your section because everybody's got that habit. They sit in exactly mm. the same seat every week. So if somebody new comes to your section that you've never seen, your job is to go over Say, hi, welcome, have we met? And if they're new, your job then is to be the social glue. Introduce them to the other people in their section. When the service is over, go over and say, hey, uh, would you like to sit with me when you come next week? Look for them next week when they come in. Connect them with other people in the section. They're not going to wear a name tag that says, hi, I'm being friendly because I have to be. Uh, they're just going to be that kind of anonymously. So it will feel... Um, um, very organic and it will be very organic, but it will be very um, intentional on our part too. And we're just awesome. beginning that process so that it's not just the usher at the door. Once you sit down, somebody near you is going to come over and say, hi, what's your name? I'm so-and-so and introduce you around. That is a great takeaway. And we're out of time, but we have been talking with Carl Vader's and uh, I missed my opportunity, Carl, earlier of saying this generation grew up without fathers, much like Luke Skywalker, who knew not his father. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, you did. I did you blow that. that opportunity. It, it, wow. it came to me before and it came to me afterwards. But in the moment, uh, it, it yeah. evaded me. But we have been mentioning talking. it. And mentioning it right now is just kind of sad. No, no, never, never. never. <laughs> Star Wars thing. Uh, it, you'll get to know us a little bit, Carl. Okay. We're, we're going to want to have you back, but you'll you'll find that Star Wars weaves its way in and out uh, constantly. Yeah. But so we didn't just have you because of your name, Carl Vader's. He's written an excellent book. It's called The Grasshopper Myth. You can pick it up 
on Amazon. You can uh, follow Carl online. He's popping up all over the place writing articles. And uh, Carl, it is. You, I think you've even been in uh, Church Planner Magazine. Is that right? Yes, yeah. I have. Yeah, and actually, the cheapest place to get my book is on my website, newsmallchurch.com. It's cheaper than on Amazon because I don't have to give them a chunk of my money if you order it from there. So. Cha-ching! Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Carl, thanks for coming on, man. This has been hardcore church planning, and I'm gonna say it, Pete. Nice. Here I go. If you're called the church plant, go hardcore, baby, or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planning. Hardcore Church Planning has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.